How about that? <laughs> that was hot. Uh, about the Holy Spirit, uh, Matt and he, he, Matt would ask me. He said, "Tom, do you know, you know, something that a song that might fit or something." And I, I can't think on music. I haven't. I can't read a lick of music. I don't. I can't play an instrument. I know nothing about that. But I know music is a powerful. I love to sing. How many of you know? When you get to heaven, we'll all be able to carry a tune. How many of you know what I mean by that? But down here, it's a joyful noise. Okay. And. Uh, he said, I said, I just read, I said, you just worship the Lord however the Lord leads you and we'll get in on it. And because uh, I write the notes out, I mean, I, I wrote these out this morning. I wrote them out a week ago, I rewrite them. I have to have uh, a fresh, uh, my mind to get focused on things. But last night, I wrote this verse down at the end and I didn't even know how it really fit on the hope. Hebrews 6, 18, uh, How does that go now? It's went blank on me. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we may have strong consolation who have fled for wretched, lay hold of the hope set before us. And then he comes up and starts that song, uh, In Christ Alone, My Hope. How do you know that was absolutely perfect for that last? I just felt like, yeah, oh Jesus, thank you. That was just so good. And you, we couldn't have figured that out. We couldn't have worked that out if we tried to work out the song or something. Because by the way, if you... Listen to the words of that song. That's your theology if you're a Christian. That's your, your hope is in Christ. It's as simple as that. It's, it's not in me or the government or anything else. It's in Christ alone. Alone. He's in a class all his own. So I just thought that was such a blessing. Um, I want to make mention of these. Uh, yesterday I spoke on prayer. I spoke on the gospel. Um, we're doing an essential series in the morning, which is basically the book's I wrote seven books, one a year for seven years, Leah, Legacy of Faith for our children and grandchildren. After you're dead and gone, what will you have left them? Because we're all leaving something. Even there was so much more that could be done last night with childhood memories. How many of you know that bringing your kids to camp on a regular basis every summer, you're making a memory with them that's going to benefit them later on? Did you know that? Memories can be good and can be bad. You don't want to leave your children with bad memories. And I don't think the memories that Paul's parents left with him about Jerusalem and stuff were bad. They were all good, wholesome, right things. <clears throat> but they really influenced his life, and it could have been even to a fault in some ways. Tonight, I cut in half what I was going to share on the... I actually took my notes and said, no, there's no way we have time for that. And uh, tonight, I think I may share some more on what he does just before he's arrested, how he gets arrested in the temple, what he's done, this great apostle what he's done, and gets arrested. He offers a blood sacrifice. How of you know he knows better than that? Somebody say amen to that. But he did it. And uh, because you'll see the influence of the church fathers in Jerusalem. By the way, about 100 years after the church's birth, I better leave this for tonight. <laughs> How of you can tell I'm heading that direction? Okay. The notes, I don't even have the notes in front of you, but those are the fun things you have when you study on your own, because I can spend hours in studying, uh, then I've got to get up for a little while and go, but I, I enjoy just studying, and, th and I think that'll never preach, but boy, it sure does something for the preacher. You know, it's, it's clinical stuff for some people, but man, it, it stirs my soul, and I, I need that. I need to be a stir, because part of my ministry, a big part of it, is a stirring ministry. Uh, God wants me to stir people. How do you know it's easier to steer a moving car as opposed to one that's setting still. 
You ever try to turn this? It just doesn't turn. But you just get it moving just a little bit, and all of a sudden you have freedom to start turning it. And God says, get him going, Tom. My wife used to tell me, she says, I hear you preach. You get me so excited. She said, I want to ride off in every direction. <laughs> well, that's not what you, I mean, no, you can't do that. I said, oh, no, I'm bringing confusion. I said, I said, well, you pray for me. I don't want to do that. My dear wife is not here in these sessions because she gets to hear her son preach in the mornings. Brian's over there preaching and she has grandchildren with her. Little Ezra, he crawls up in bed with this morning. He's five years old. And he puts his soft little fat hands on my face. <coughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> As, anyway, I, I just enjoy that because it's a flashback for me of when our kids uh, used to, it just And now it's grandchildren and stuff. And uh, anyway, she's with... By the way, can I just make a comment? How many of you know why God gives you children when you're young? <laughs> you already know, don't you? You don't have the energy for them when you get older. We'll be wore out this weekend. It's not that they're, they're just, there's noise that's not there. When <laughs> it's just that level of energy that's always going on, which you're, you're thankful for. Well, um, and Brian is uh, taking his oldest daughter, Eliana, He's getting out of one of the games he's supposed to be in with the young people to drive Eliana over and meet somebody on the other side of Bay City on 75, a girlfriend of Eliana's. How many of you know, they have seven children. We have 22 grandchildren, and we are amazed as we see the busyness of their lives, running them to this and doing this and that. And it's just like, oh, how do you do that? And every once in a while, we volunteer, and we are able to help in some ways. Um, but Brian's going to take Eliana, who's 17, and she's going to be playing the piano this week at another camp up north where she ministers every once in a while, and uh, she plays the piano for him and stuff. She's, real, she's getting really good at the piano. Um, but anyway, I want to make mention of these two things. We spoke on prayer yesterday. If you want a piece of the action of, of what somebody's doing, and Brian is front line, he'll probably end up in jail someday because of preaching on the street. How many of you know we're living in a country that is criminalizing Christianity? Did you know that? That's hard to imagine, but it's happening before our very eyes. You preach the Bible, well, that book says this, that book's, yeah, it does. Well, that's against the law. There comes a time where you must please God rather than man. How many of you know that's here? And ben Brian says, I don't look forward to that. He said, I want to be with my family, but he said, I will not deny the faith. God bless you, son. He's there. He, he's on the campuses. He's, he's doing the work. If you want a piece of that action, pray for him. And sometimes a card will help you remember a person. That's just him and his wife. Uh, Kimberly, she's a first-generation Christian. He met her at a Bible college. He just wanted to hit a galley fell in love with, said to him, I love you like a brother. How many of you know you need a little more than that? Would you agree? <laughs> And so she, rejection's a tough pill. Would you agree with that? No matter how you, and it was just hard for him. So he just said, I got to get out of here. And we knew that. And all we could do was pray. We couldn't even give him advice. What do you do? You know, you're 19, 20 years old. What do you want to do? And he said, I just want to go and take some. I'm not interested in the sheepskin. I just want to take some classes. He had a real heart for the Spanish-speaking people at that time. And so he wanted to take some Spanish, some Bible, music. He also plays the piano. So he went off to Bible school. And that's where he met this little gal. Can I just tell you the story of that? I, uh, oh, quit looking at me. <laughs> uh, maybe you've heard this. We, we, our children, we prayed for their mates. For, and the 16 things you pray for your children, the first thing you pray for is their salvation. And then the second thing we prayed for was their mate. If they're going to marry, who they're going to marry is going to be a big deal. And we don't know how to, you don't pick. Some people get into that. We're not going to pick our kids' mates because we ain't marrying them. Let them do the picking, okay? 
They have veto power, according to Rachel. Remember that whole deal said, well, let's ask her. Will she go or won't she go? And she thought, she said, I'll go. So, you, you, so the person's the one that needs to make the choice. In our small opinion, that's what we feel. So, that's what, so we just prayed. And so we're praying about him in the first gal. That falls apart. He's all discouraged. And so he says, I'm just going off to school. I, uh, and this girl, who's a first-generation Christian, she didn't grow up in the church. She got saved in the ninth grade. Folks had uh, split up, just a lot of tension, tough things, and a girlfriend led her to Christ. So she wants to go to this school. So she takes off and goes to this school in Florida. And they meet, and she's praying, oh God, I want to know the man you want me to marry. I want him to be my Prince Charming. Now that's not really biblical, but how do you know Prince Charming is not in the Bible? How do you know that, okay? But nonetheless, for a fledgling Christian, she said, I want, I want him to be my Prince Charming. And Brian's really not looking. He, he's just recovering from a, a relationship that went south on him. And uh, there's 300 students, or thereabouts, running to this one building, and they're racing up the steps like this. Just a big lot of steps going up to it and heading to different classes once they head down hallways. And he's never seen her before in his life, and she's right in front of him. And she's running up the steps. He's running up right behind her. And her shoe falls off. Her slipper falls off right in front of Brian. So Brian stops and he says, uh, dropped your slipper, Cinderella. And she went, <laughs> it, is a, it is an unbelievable story. Two days later, they met under a palm tree. Eleven months later, they were married. Okay. And that is a, we just think, God, only you could do this, okay? Only you could do it. He had no clue, okay, about what she'd been praying. She told him later on. Anyway, their family, uh, they need prayer. Simple as that. They just need prayer. Then uh, our other daughter, son-in-law, our other daughter's married to a man there on the same in staff with Life Action Ministries. And uh, Gabe had worked for the government for 13 years. He'd been a Marine, did time in Iraq, uh, and worked as a civilian for the military and wrote speeches for a lot of upper echelon in the military. And he was writing them that he didn't believe. They began harder and harder for him to write things and endorse them that was against his conscience and against et cetera. And he struggled and he tried to be a light and he was. And he, God, this is all God's doing, just began to really struggle with this. He grew up in a missionary's home in Panama. And he wanted to serve the Lord, but somehow the devil had him convinced, you'll never be able to serve the Lord. You don't have speaking skills, you don't, or whatever it is. And uh, he just believed that lie. And then a man from that ministry approached him and said, we need somebody that fit him to a T. Uh, part of his responsibility is a security manager. It's hard to imagine that there are churches that have security teams now, but it's true and needed. And some other things that he's writing now for their monthly magazine and the, just those kinds of things. But he quit a job. I did not know what he made. I just knew that he and Ellen lived on 14 acres, the brand new house and barn and just beautiful, and they were debt free. So I knew he was making some pretty good money. And... Uh, he turned in his resignation and quit and said, I'm going to serve the Lord. They said, you're crazy. You'll never do it. He did it. And he is happier now serving the Lord. 
without the income, but they're all faith-supported missionaries. And uh, they don't have a long list of people, but they're still serving the Lord there. They need prayer. They have seven children. Um, Caleb, who's 19, just came down with a chicken pox. And then his little little sister just came down with him too. None of them had had him, and they checked that was one vaccine they didn't get. How you know that's bad? <laughs> okay. So she's racing them today to the county health department to get all of them uh, vaccinated, okay? Which will help some, even if you get it, I guess it lessens the effect. Aren't you glad you came? These are two of our children <laughs> and their prayer cards are over there. Our, our refrigerator literally is covered with prayer cards of people we meet that God just rolls them over onto you. I want a piece of that, what they're doing. And there's so many ministries that are going on we don't know about, you don't pray for. But when you learn of one, you say, God, do you, want me to, you want me to take that person on for a year, for six months, and just pray for them? That's what I'm asking for, just to pray for them. So those are over there. Well, <clears throat> I don't know how to get this eyeballs or what to work here. Know the gospel. You need to know what the gospel is. No matter what avenue you take, whether it's the justice of God or the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the righteousness of God, or whatever you want to take, you better end at the cross because that's the gospel. Without the cross, there is no good news. That is the crescendo of God's story. Know the gospel. Preach it to yourself. Um... I wish I could just go on and on about that, to emphasize that. People, if anything the devil wants you to do is to take your eyes off Jesus. He wants you to look in the mirror. How many of you have looked in the mirror and realized you don't make a very good savior? Anybody want to say amen to that? Look unto Jesus, the author, the one who began the whole deal, and the finisher or the perfecter of your faith. It's constant. It has to be Christ. Tonight I'll be preaching the gospel. The avenue I'm taking is the one that Paul took as he reasoned of righteousness. I'm going to take righteousness, and we're going to head to the cross tonight. Um, then I spoke to someone, Lord, teach us to pray. That's book number two. I'm going to grab a, a copy of book number three, because that's what I'm going to be making reference to. Uh, Lord, teach us to pray. That was book number two. Prayer is a learning experience. I'm still learning how to pray, but I have learned to pray. And Joyce and I are seeing that Pray about everything, just in everything. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Just, just, I don't, people, when you leave to go home, pray, God, keep me safe on the way home. Go before me and scatter the plans of the enemy. We do not go anyplace we don't get in the car, and we start praying. You say, well, what if you, what if you made it without prayer? How do you know that God knows our needs before we ask, but he still wants us to ask? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. If you'd seen his number of accidents that I saw as a state trooper and nobody wrote it on the calendar that day, I'm, I'm going to have an accident. I'm going to be T-boned at such and such an intersection. Nobody does that. Well, God, would you just make sure that doesn't happen? Would you protect your child today? Just keep me safe. Watch over me. Watch over my wife. My wife leaves a driveway and I'm praying for her. Just pray. Learn to pray about everything. It is the one spiritual discipline you cannot OD on. Overdose, okay, you can't, you can't, oh, too much prayer, guys, I've had enough of that. No, you don't need to do that. You can always pray about everything. Just pray about everything. Husbands and wives pray together. Pray when you get up in the morning, pray when you go to bed. Just pray, just make prayer, uh, contact with deity, talking to God. Just pray about all kinds of things. 
I grew up a product of praying people. My great-great-grandfather, which I obviously never met, but my dad did, old Grandpa John. Now, my relatives were all from eastern Tennessee, western North Carolina. If you know where Mountain City, Tennessee is, or that is in the far northeast peak of Tennessee and western North Carolina, that's Banner Elk, Boone, North Carolina, in that area. Beautiful mountains. It is an absolutely beautiful place to live. Well, they settled back in there, the Harmons and the Gillums and a number of different names, the Presnells and the Trivets and that kind of stuff. Those were all the names of the relatives. That, we were all related. Everybody's right. They're Marian cousins. How many of you know that's what happened back in there? They just did. And uh, Grandpa John, there was a Methodist circuit-riding preacher that came through that part of the country. And we're, we're, we're backing up 100-plus years ago, and they would just ride horseback, and you're familiar with this, and they would go to houses. They would, there weren't big buildings and gathering places. They would just go to houses and say, I am a preacher of the gospel, and if you'll just give me food and a place to sleep by the fire, I'll tell you the ways of God. I'll share with you the gospel. And they would do this. Thank God for these old itinerant horseback-riding preachers circuit riding preachers and sure enough my great great grandpa John said yes come in and for three days he stayed with them and he shared the gospel they were illiterate they couldn't read or write how many of you are glad you don't have to have a PhD to go to heaven anybody glad of that you need to know Jesus you don't have to be real articulate or literate or anything and so they understood the truth of the gospel and they received Christ as their savior and he told them now you can talk to God you have access to God now. And he taught them to pray. They couldn't read or write, didn't leave him a Bible, didn't have one to leave him if he'd have had one. And he moved on. Because there were people back in them mountains that made moonshine, the last thing they want to see is a preacher. How many of you know what I mean by that? But they had him in. When Grandpa John and my great-grandma, and I can't remember her great-great-grandma, had a son, their firstborn son, they named him John Wesley Gillum. How many of you know that he preached a little Wesley to him too? Would you agree with that? <laughs> he told him about John Wesley and his teachings and those kinds of things. Well, that was as far back as I can find of were Christians. So that's five, six generations for me of Christians. And because they learned to pray, now Ma Polly and uh, Pa Charles, who would have been his son, married uh, Molly Trivet. And this would be my grandma Harmon's parents. They couldn't read or write either. They eventually taught themselves how to read and write. How do you know that part of the country? If you spell phonetically, you're going to spell some words differently, okay? <laughs> and, and so I have some letters actually from them, not to me, but to my parents. And it is a joy to read them. And the writing is just hard. You have to really work on figuring out what letters they're making. But they were praying people. They were praying people. In fact, my Ma Polly was about this tall, about that wide, little white bun and granny glasses, the typical little old granny. Because when you're a, you know, a young boy and you meet your great-grandparents, they're all really, it looked like antiques, okay? And she'd hug me and she'd say, Tom, I pray for you every day. And she meant it. She prayed for me every day. Can I tell you some people, I tried to make a mess of my life. I've had all kinds of opportunities to turn out. I wish, I wish God had just got a hold of me when I was younger. How many of you know what I'm trying to say? But I determined, I know more than God. Have you ever been there? But I could outrun my grandparents, but I could not run their God. How many of you got what I just said? And they just flat out were praying for me and praying for me. And they'd tell me they were praying for me. And uh, my grandpa Harmon and grandma Harmon, 
they, they're the dairy farmers that I used to go and spend my summers with, and I just fell in love with them and with farming. Every morning, they get their Bible out. They get the, all the biscuits and eggs and ham and all this stuff and put on them. And then they open up their Bible. My grandpa Harmon would, and he'd read just a few verses, and then they'd pray. And his prayer was almost always the same. I could almost tell you what it was. And dear Heavenly Father, he'd start out like that. We pray for all those whom our duty to pray for. And he'd, go to, and he'd just pray that prayer in the morning. So I, began to, I grew up seeing that. And Grandma Harmon prayed for us all the time. Then my mom's folks, um, Don and Wilma Eller were their names. And he was the, he's the guy I look like. Okay, I get these big ears from my grandpa Eller. And he was a red-headed Irishman. And he, when he was young, was a drinker and a fighter. And he got saved in an old-fashioned tent meeting. And when he got saved, he really got saved. Never drank again. He still had problems with anger, my mom said after that. Because how many of you know the Irish on occasion like to fight? How many of you knew that about the Irish? Okay. Like, got any reason to have a brawl? <laughs> and he was just a big old stout man. But as he grew older... Because him and I have an aunt that's younger than me. Their daughter, I mean, you know, <laughs> the surprise daughter, okay. And so their means of stopping that was she slept in that room and he slept over in that one. That will cure it. How many of you knew that, okay? <laughs> and that was their means of curing that. But he slept over in this room, and because they're very poor, um, I slept on the couch in the living room, and my parents and sister and stuff slept over in this other little, little small house. On, built on the side of a hill like this, so the front porch area is you got this way up high and stuff on stilts, and then here to the level ground. I would hear him praying at night, and he'd lay hold of Jesus, and it was almost like a moaning, oh, Jesus, Jesus, and then he'd pray for me, and he'd pray for my sister, and he'd pray for his two sons and his daughter, my mom, and he'd I just listened to him, and he would just moan in prayer. It was a, and I remember hearing him saying, that old boy is really believing God is hearing him talk. You see, I, prayer is so important. Pray with your grandchildren. We, just pray with your children. You can't OD on prayer. Just find things to pray about and pray. Very significant. And I believe I am a product of praying. Parents, grandparents. My mother's, when I got my driver's license, my mother looked at me and said, my prayer life just doubled. <laughs> I'd leave the driveway just smoking the tires and grabbing gears. So Heavenly Father, bring me back, you know. She just prayed. What an idiot I was. I thank God for that. Now I have a praying wife, and Joyce and I are moving into prayer, and my, our ministry may end up being prayer. Now, that is some of my heritage can pass on a great thing to your children and grandchildren if you pass on, pass on a praying heritage to them. Book number three is By the Word of God. These are all little tiny um, pictures of things that the Bible talks the Word of God is like. It's like a sword of the Spirit, okay? It is like a rock that the hammer breaks in pieces. Uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Sweeter also, he talks in Psalms 19, sweeter also than honey and honeycomb. It's like um, the seed, and I have a bag of wheat seed, and it says the word is the seed of God, or the, the seed is the word of God. It's like milk, uh, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. So these are just things that would be metaphorically describing what scripture is like, and they're all things you and I need for a balanced diet. It's your meat, your bread, your milk, your butter, and your honey. You got everything from your proteins to your 
uh, carbs and all the kind of things you need to have a good balanced diet. That's what the Word of God is like. So that's why I put those things on the front of this book. By the Word of God. Where does that come from? 1 Peter 1.23 says this, Being born again, not of a corrupt seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. This book has been tried to be destroyed since its organization, since its coming about. It is an eternal word. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have your own personal copy of the scriptures? Let me just raise your hand. If you see, you ha I do have my own personal copy. Most everybody, I, did, I can't see everybody, but most everybody I see raise their hand. How many of you have more than one that you own? <laughs> we do, don't we? Our son, our oldest son, Ben, <clears throat> he's a missions pastor on his church staff team that they're on. His responsibility is missions and evangelism, and he goes, in fact, he just got back from the Ukraine and Dubai, and, uh, which is, by the way, uh, I don't got time. It's just a fascinating place. They want to be the biggest, the strongest, the fastest. You can put the EST on anything, and the, Dubai wants to be it. Now, this is where the shakes and the oil money and stuff, and they're just pouring it back into the country to make it the tallest building, the fastest. You name it. It's just unbelievable. They're also, 30% of the population is Indian. 30% of the population is Filipino. They come there to work, they're out, and they make money to send home. Ben's church is supporting a missionary of a guy who is in India, has a heart for India. The pollution in the air is so bad, the doctor said, if you don't leave, you're going to die from the lung problems you're developing. You're not suited for this. You've got to leave. So he left his heart still for the Indian people. He heard about the third of the population of Dubai being Indian. He knows the language, knows the culture. He has went there and started a church because they don't care. As long as you don't proselytize a Muslim, you can go and preach whatever religion. They gave him freedom of religion in Dubai, a Muslim country. How many of you know God is at work in the world whether we realize it or not? This guy went over there and started a Bible study. In two years, he's got 1,200 Hindus who converted to Christianity. And I'm going, I want a piece of that action. You know what I mean by that? God, you're doing something there. And so anyway, oh, how did I get off on this? What I'm trying to say is their church paid a lot of money to have Bibles in the Indian language sent over to this church because they said, we need resources. I mean, the people are getting saved like crazy because they're, they're out of a Hindu culture. They're not in their own culture now. And they're reachable. And just a lot of things make them vulnerable to change and preparing them for the message of Christ. Um, when Ben was in Africa as a missionary, he took his family there for a year and a half, built a, a training station in Malawi, in the tribal area of Malawi. He trained 23 pastors every Wednesday would come and he would teach them. He learned the language, Ben picked up the language very quickly and he is teaching them. Some things he had a guy help him in interpretation. But most of it, I got to be there. We sat there and listened to him on the ground in a grass hut kind of building. And he said, when I got here, he says, most of these pastors who were saved by listening to Christian radio, <laughs> God's so good, they would hear the message of the gospel, get saved, and they just knew. I got to tell everybody about this. This is really good news. How I many of you know this is the, what the gospel is supposed to affect us like? So, but he says, these are pastors. Some of them only had certain pages of scripture. He said, they didn't have, he said, few of them had a whole Bible in their language. 
He says, and they would just take what little bit they had and try to share it with the people in their tribe, their village. Well, Ben says, I got Bibles for all of them. And he says, when they carried them, and I saw them do this, they carried their Bibles like this. How many of you know that meant that was precious to them? Their Bible was precious to them. Oh, how we sometimes take our advantages and don't see them as precious. The Bible is precious, people. Where in the world would we do without our Bibles? Well, um, he made sure they all had that, and he paid them, which was peanuts, the kwacha, their, and their money for memorizing scripture because they had to take a day off. These are working men, okay, that have certain jobs and responsibilities just to feed and take care of their family. It's not like you can take a day off. So if they would come to the teaching time and whatever he taught them on that Wednesday, on Sunday, they taught that in their little village churches. And they would now have the scriptures and they became people that had their own book, their own Bible, which was a precious thing to them. Um, well, let me tell you some of the benefits of just reading the Bible. Jesus said uh, several different times, have you not read? How many of you are familiar with that scriptures? Have you? He's talking to people who should, Jewish people who should have read the scriptures. And he's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How many of you know when Jesus said the scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament? Say amen to that. Would you agree? Don't think the Old Testament is something that's old and we can do away with. We need the Old Testament. It holds hands with the new. The new is a revelation of what took place and was preached and prophesied in the old. And so Jesus said, have you not read? What are the benefits of just reading? Because I'm going to talk about some of the chapters in this book. Read it daily, study it carefully, memorize it intentionally, meditate on it continually, share it lovingly, and obey it passionately. That's just the chapter titles in that book. Read it. Um, just reading the Bible. I don't know if you read yours daily or every other day, but you regularly read your Bible throughout the week. If you don't, you should start. If you claim to know Christ, you need to just read the Bible. Back when I was a, in fact, that was the first commitment I made in 1979. Commit my life to Christ, September 8th, 1978. And now I start going to church. And I grew up in the church hearing you ought to read your Bible your whole life. I'd never done it. I had heard it all my life and never done it. How have you been, any of you guilty of that same thing? I've heard it, but I'm not doing it, okay? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. I was guilty of the hearers only. And I remember thinking, I'm going to start reading. I got so inspired and moved. I said, I'm going to start reading my Bible. Now, I flunked the fifth grade because I had dyslexia and couldn't read. Now, I, I had learned how to read, but I, wasn't, I didn't enjoy reading. I'd rather put something together without looking at the instructions. How do you know what I mean? I don't even want to read anything. And um, I said, I'm going to read. I said, I wonder, how you, I wonder how a person reads the Bible. I did not know, and I thought, why not the beginning? So I'm going to start in Genesis. Good place to begin. Would you agree? The beginnings. And I said... I'm just going to read, and the title of the sermon that I heard was Read Till You Burn, which means uh, the two on the road to Emmaus did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures unto us. So that's what he was preaching about, but I didn't know how, how am I going to know when I get heartburn? I mean, I don't, how am I going to know? So I just said, well, I'll read three chapters a day. And I just started reading. And some, I made the commitment to read every day for the rest of my life. The message so impressed me. But the first week, I read it faithfully. The second week, not so good. Third week, didn't read it at all. How many of you ever made a commitment ahead? Just that experience, okay? Get inspired, I'm going to do it. And then the Holy Spirit, faithful to you, he says, Tom, I thought you was going to read. Oh, yeah, I forgot. I didn't intend to forget. I just forgot. I've lived so much of my life without doing this, and now it's going to become a part of my life. See, I can't imagine a day now going by without me reading the scriptures. I can't even imagine it. It's as part of my life as breathing. I just read the scriptures. I'm on my 60th time of reading the Bible through from beginning to end. 
Who would have ever dreamed when I made that initial commitment that would be something that would happen in my life? Who would have ever dreamed that? And I said, and I love to read it. My idea of a good time is reading, I like to sit down and read a whole book. Read the book of Job. You want to get the feel for Job? Read the whole thing. Start. You can do it in an hour. Just sit down and read the book of Job. Or sit down and read one of the, First Samuel. I love, some books are easier than others. Some record the stories better than others, but they're all good. How do you know that all scripture is profitable? Would you agree with that? You can't go wrong. Just read it. Well, I got into the habit of reading it. And I'm still a cop. Good on, I, I don't leave the department until 1984. This is 1979. So I don't know when it was. Maybe 1980. I was working on a to Midnight. I think it had been stationed in Detroit. No, I was out of Detroit then. And uh, I'd had a, one of them nights that was just rotten. I got a complaint, because we were a police agency, not a highway patrol. We actually handled crimes. We were trained to do everything from lift late and lifts to investigate crimes. And I uh, had to take some interviews from little children who had been molested by their uncle. I had to have it for the prosecutor to get the warrants I needed for this guy. And I wanted this guy. But I couldn't get the junk out of my mind that these poor little girls had to, their parents were sitting. It was just, it was just a, I, I, how have you ever heard things you just wish you'd never heard? I just wish I'd never heard it, okay? Because once you hear it, you've got to deal with it. You've got to know how to deal with it. And that same evening, I don't know, we're out working the road and stop a car. And everybody on it's drunk. Everybody's naked. The whole car. The four people in the car, nobody got their clothes on. Get out of the car. I got to shake them down. What are you going to do? You know, everybody's going to jail. But what, get your clothes on, you know. But I, how have you wish, how have you seen some things you wish you'd have never seen? Anybody want to say amen to that? Once you see them, you've got to deal with them. And they're on the billboards. They're everywhere we go. They're there. And I came home, and I felt dirty. I just felt filthy. It's not like, oh, I, mean, I flipped the switch, and I just come home, jump in bed with my wife, because she's upstairs sleeping. And I went downstairs. I said, God, help me. I just feel I said, I just feel dirty. And I felt like the Lord said, well, you need a bath. No, 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 I don't mean, I don't mean that kind of dirty. He said, I do. Take a bath. The Bible says, now are ye clean through the word which was spoken unto you. It says, husbands, wash your wives with the washing of the water by the word. And I said, oh. And I just sat down and opened up my Bible. I think I was in the Psalms. How many of you know that's always a good place to land? Would you agree with that? The Psalms. And I read a few Psalms, and it's like God just cleaned my mind and my soul of all the junk the world had poured in it that night. Any of you follow me what I'm trying to do with this? <laughs> I've learned to take a bath on frequent occasions. Just, it'll, Christians say, ah, or people accuse Christians, ah, oh, you are just brainwashed. Some of our brains need a good washing. Say amen to that. Would you agree with that? That just needs to be clean. The, how do you know the Bible? One of the metaphors is called, it's like a fuller soap. It'll wash us. People just read, and I'm not talking about studying or memorizing or anything. I'm just talking about just read. Make it a part of your life, and you might find yourself being cleaned by God in ways you didn't even know you were dirty in. You find God washing away things that you didn't even know in a subtle way came into your mind that he says they're not going to have their effect. Wash them off. I got news for you. I take a shower every night. I'm not one of them guys who go to bed dirty. I thank God to live in a country where you can take a shower. I sweat all the time. I'm one of them guys that just sweat. Some people perspire, I sweat. 
And if I go to bed without taking a shower, I stick to myself. <laughs> In some places. You, I, 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 maybe that was a little too much. <laughs> what do you do, sleep in your shorts? Yeah. <laughs> and I stick to it. I get it and wash off, and all of a sudden, I can just sleep. It's the same thing in your spirit. This book is, this, I even know, it's John 6, 63. It is the spirit that giveth life, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you are spirit and they are life. The spirit of God will give you a bath, is what I'm trying to say. You want to be clean in your mind. Got some junk that you, I even know the devil does seem to have an ability to bring up things that you don't need to remember. Just, just get out the old sword of the Spirit and say, no, we ain't going there. And get in your Bible and just read for a little while and see what happens. This is just, just a simple thing, just reading. Psalms 19 says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? But by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Study the Bible. I'm reading. 1979, 1980, 81, I'll guarantee you this. I never had any dream. <laughs> I would have bet against it. I would have bet I'll be an astronaut, but I'll never be a preacher. You know, that's how far removed being a preacher was from my mind. Um, but as what happened is, the church I was attending gave me a Sunday school class, a junior high boys. How many of you know how risky that was? I mean, I didn't know nothing. I'd go in and tell cop stories, and they loved them. And I'd say, I should tell them something about the Bible. You know, <laughs> I didn't know what I'm doing. That. But it, it, what began to happen to me I had to study. They had a little quarterly, a little thing, and I'd read the verses, and I'd, try, and I'd try to talk to them some things about God. And before I knew it, I was getting excited about Sunday mornings going to my junior high boys Sunday school class because I was going to talk to them about something that was transforming my life. See, how do you know that the Bible does have a way to transform us? And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? How do you know that you and I will never know the will of God apart from the word of God? They, they, they go together. You want to know God's will for your life? Get in the book. God does tell us his will in, in the scriptures for our lives. Austin, can you kill this for a second? I'm going to clear my throat. Excuse me. Thank you. Good team. Okay. Okay. Uh, anybody know where I was at? All right. But here's what happened. From reading my Bible daily, I'm going along like this in my journey. But when I began to 2 Timothy 2.15, 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. By the way, how many of you know when, this, when the author of the book and the interpreter of the book lives within you, you really need not that any man teach you? How many of you knew that? Now, that does not mean we throw God's spiritual teachers to the wind. But if you really want to know something, you can go to the book, and the one who wrote it will tell you what it means. Come on, say amen to that. And I begin to study the book. You know, the first thing that God revealed to me, the importance of, if you can believe this, the first theological truth God revealed to me personally was the virgin birth, the importance of the virgin birth. And it was kind of like by accident how I got to studying this. I mean, I'm teaching junior high. How many of you know you don't go to junior high boys Sunday school and talk to them about the virgin birth, okay? Oh. <laughs> but that's what God revealed to me and the important. Can I tell you how doctrinally important it is that you know that Jesus was conceived of a virgin, that he was not Joseph's son? Say amen to that. 
And I said, oh, that's why we believe that. Because I'd have said I believed it, I wouldn't have known why. But here's what happens. I'm going along my journey of faith, reading my Bible, and pretty soon I began to study. I took one of these. I began to walk like, whoa, we are, we are covering some ground. Ground I should have covered years earlier in my life. I'm in my 30s at this time. God, I'm, I'm covering ground. I'm beginning to move. Study. Take a subject and study it. Just go ahead. Pick a subject. You just find one, some issue, maybe some current issue. And you study the Word of God and see what the Word of God has to say about it. And when the author and interpreter reveals it to you, you'll live off a personal revelation from God more than you will any sermon you've ever heard. Because you know you weren't sharp enough to figure this out without his help. Somebody say amen if you followed that. And only God does that. You see, God will do it. If you'll study, he will help you rightly divide the word of truth. He will do this. So to memorize and to study, then meditate upon scriptures. Psalms 119.11, it says... See if that's the one. No. That's with memorize. Which one am I on? Meditate. meditate. Thank you. <laughs> meditate. Joshua 1.8. What does meditate mean? Think deeply. How many of you found the word seal? It may not be in your particular translation, but there's a word seal in the Psalms after a verse. You know what it means? To ponder, reflect, think deeply. Go back and ruminate on that. Chew on that a little bit. It's okay. It's, it's good to read a verse and then say, I wonder what that means. Mix in a little bit of prayer. Think about that. What, what does this verse mean? Put it in this context. You've done a little bit of study. So who's he talking to? Uh, what's the time frame? And these kinds of things. And then just meditate on it. As you meditate upon Scripture, there is a promise from God to those who will do it. To keep it in your mind, to think on it. And it's success. Um, Joshua 1 8 said this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein I don't know how many times I have studied something and I'm short circuiting I can't get it I'm, I, I don't understand what this means it can't mean how many of you have ever studied something and you know what it's not saying but you're not sure what it is saying you know what it, I know it's not saying this but what is it saying God what are you saying here See, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever. So God, would you reveal this to me, the Spirit himself? Um, oh, I have not seen an ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things which the Lord has prepared for those that love him. Just went blank on. How many of you are glad when you forget him, it's still written down someplace? You know, you're glad of that? I want to go back to, I think it's 1 Corinthians 2. It might be 2 Corinthians 2. It's 1 Corinthians 2. And about verse 9, 10, I know, I know it's on this page, inside column. No, this page, inside column, and about that far down. I'll bet you it is. How do you know the numbers are not inspired? Say amen. Okay. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of the man that is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. See, there's some things you and I are not going to get from anybody but the Holy Spirit of God. And when he gives those things to us, as we memorize, we study, memorize, and as we meditate upon the word of God, and he reveals them things to us, can I tell you something? We have something that's going to be very beneficial. It's going to guide us. It's going to help us because he's revealed them to us. For, that was 1 uh, Corinthians 2, 9, 10, 11, 12. You keep on going with the natural man. 
receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness in him, and neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. Now, um, Psalms 1, listen to this. Success, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, one of the metaphors talking about the scriptures, the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. See, you don't have to wonder if the rains are coming or not. You're by the river. You're going to have your water. You don't need an early and latter rain. You're going to produce fruit. It will be a success if you'll meditate. Think deeply. David said in the night seasons, I'm finding that I pray a lot at night when I wake up and can't go back to sleep. And then sometimes I'll meditate and ponder on the scripture, something I'm studying that I still don't know how the dots connect. And sometimes later on that day, because I meditated in the night seasons, at a moment least expected, sometimes in the shower, it's like, da, and I got to get out and get a pencil and paper to write this thing down before, how do you have the ability to forget things, okay? <laughs> and if I don't write her down, it can be a revelation from God, and I'll forget it again. And just get out there and write that thing down. Driving the car, seeing it, all of a sudden, God connects the dots, because I'm in a... A mindset of thinking, meditating, pondering, reflecting on the things of God's word. I just tap that into your court. Um, part of God's call on my life, I think I said something about memorization. I, I usually do in the evening session, so I think I'm going to go over that one. Thy word have I hid in my heart, okay? Psalms 119.11. Hide God's word in your heart. Get it in. Um... The word of God is like a weapon. A weapon isn't worth a biscuit if you leave it home. The sword of the Spirit is something you want to have with you. Quick draw. You want to have her out. It's the sword of the Spirit in spiritual warfare. You don't want to, where's my weapon when you're under attack? You want to come out because his, uh, the devil's uh, weapons are lies. When you pull out truth, which is the word of God, he can't, he's no match. We are no match for Satan, but he is no match for Christ. And we wheel out the sword of the Spirit, and he goes. You need to have your weapon ready in memorization. But part of the call on my life is to preach the word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, no, 4, it's the last chapter of 2 Timothy. Paul says, these are the last words he pens. He's in the Mamertine jail. He will be removed from there and be executed. He may even be listening to the, he said, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. That means any moment they're coming for me, and he knows it. There's no more getting out of prison for Paul. He's going to the execution block for his faith. And he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Hallelujah. I want to finish well. But here's what he says to Timothy. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. There are people who preach about the word that don't preach the word. When you preach the word, you preach it authoritatively. Did you know the Pharisees preached the word? But when Jesus preached the word, the people were astonished for he taught them one as having authority and not as the scribes. Do you know how I can preach the word with authority? Believe it myself. If I believe this, I can proclaim it. And the problems you have with my sermons aren't with me, they're with the one who wrote the sermon. If I'll preach his word, by the way, 
there are people who flat out do not like my preaching, and they'll tell me. I've, I've had guys come, I don't like your preaching. I said, I ain't preaching so you'll like me. <laughs> I have a scripture to support that. You know what it is? For I do, Paul said, for I, do I now seek the favor of men or of God? For if I seek to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. If I'll, stick, if I'll preach the word, can I tell you something? I'll be okay. It'll be all right. But the people that do enjoy my preaching are people who enjoy the word. They just bring it on. I'll be preaching the word. I put my glasses on. People are sitting there drooling. Because <laughs> I'm preaching the word. I want to preach the word. Not about it. Just preach it. Proclaim it with emphasis. Thus saith the Lord. And I want to close our time together. I wish I had uh, gotten through some of these things a little quicker. With this Bible. I just introduced this Bible this week on Sunday night. First sermon I preached out of this Bible. Now the little... Uh, nine-year-old boy we have with us, Silas. He and Ezra stand with us this week. They're Brian's, his two sons. There's a girl between Silas and Ezra, little Lydia. But this is his Bible. I have his name written, Silas Charles Harmon. Charles is my dad's first name, so Brian named him Silas Charles. And uh, it's what I do is I do a Bible for every one of our grandsons so that when they get to 12 to 13, uh, at our family consecration, which is in just a couple of weeks, we have uh, our 19th family consecration. Maybe I'll say more about that tomorrow morning. But I will give him this Bible. He will be pretty close to 13 or 13, maybe a little over. It depends on how, what group he's going to go through with. He'll probably go through with Hudson and maybe Isaac or somebody. And I've done a Bible. I'm going to do a Bible. Joyce does one for each one of our granddaughters. This is the gift we're going to leave him. We're not going to leave him money. We're going to spend every bit of that we can. We ain't leaving our kids anymore. No, somebody say amen to that. Help me with that, would you please? But we're going to give them something more valuable than money. Now say amen to that. Would you agree with that? I got news for you. Money is not the answer to things. The filthy lucre. It's just, it's just not the answer. This is. This is. And so it's what I'll do now is for the next probably two years, I'll preach through this. And these are hard to find because every one of these Bibles are the same. I cut my teeth on a King James New Schofield Reference Bible. It's a 1967 edition. My mother got me one when I was still in high school, still at home. She got me a good, good Bible. I never read it. I didn't take, take it with me to church, and I just, she got me that Bible. But I can tell you this, when I committed my life to Christ, I went hunting for that Bible. We had it someplace. And that's the Bible I started reading. And that's the Bible our oldest son got. That's the Bible that went, with, went to work with me as a state trooper that sat in the back seat with drunks. I had a drunk puke on it one night. I, I'm glad they did not have a dash cam that night, okay? Boy, that bothered me. I, you know, I probably didn't act very Christian. That's what I'm trying to say. Excuse me, but I was just a fledgling believer following, getting ready to go with the Lord. But that's the Bible. And that's the one I read through for the first time. And I thought then, back then, if I get a read through one time in my lifetime, that's it. I won't have to do it again. Who would have ever dreamed 60 times later I'd still be reading the Bible? Well, I gave that Bible to Ben, and I wrote notes to him in it. And that's the one I started teaching my junior high Sunday school class out of. And it just has so many memories. And I began to write in it because my mother wrote in her Bible. My mother was a God-fearing woman, and she loved the Word of God. And she prayed for me every day. In fact, in the back of when my mother died, 36 years ago this June, she was 49. I remember when she died, I thought, 
Oh, she's lived a good long life. How do you know 49 is not a good long life? That's a young, we have a son 46, okay? He's going to be 46 here pretty soon. Unbelievable. Anyway, when she died, I said to dad, there's only one thing I want of mom, because now I'm walking with a little, I want her Bible. And as, as soon as my sister found out that mom had died, she lived in Arizona, she said, dad, I want mom's Bible, but I asked first, so I already had it. Yes, I finally beat my sister at something, Okay. All the torment she gave me growing up because she was a, this brain, she's just a brainiac, you know what I mean? She just knew everything and I didn't know nothing. <laughs> well, I, I remember looking through my mother's Bible and I found a prayer that she prayed for me in the back of her Bible. Just among all these other things like I've written through all my Bibles now, I found a prayer, oh God, that my son would fall in love with your word. And she never got to see the answer to that prayer, but how do you know your prayers will outlive you? You can go ahead and be, if they're in the golden bowls, They'll go up one of these days, is what I'm trying to say to you. Just keep depositing into the golden bowls, or the incense prayers of the saints. And uh, she knew that if God heard and answered that prayer, a whole lot of things would take care of themselves. Because when you begin to fall in love with the word of God, you'll fall in love with the God of the word. That's what's going to happen to you. And it happened to me. And it was because of her prayers. So I took her Bible as a, an incentive to me for my own children now. I want my children to know God. I want to know God, and I want my children to know God. And so I gave that first Bible to Ben, and I got me another Bible. Back then, you could still find them. This is a 1967 edition. You can't find them now. Brian got me one for Christmas. Of all the things the kids got me for Christmas, when Brian got me one, he found it online, a 1967 New Schofield King James edition. He bought it and had it wrapped up. And when he gave it to me, for, I said, Brian, is this what I think it is? Because I'd ask all the kids, if you can find I don't know how to do shopping online. I don't know how to do any kind of stuff. I said, is this what I think it is? And he said, well, just open it. And I opened it up, and it was just like this, except it's got a brown cover on it, and that's for Ezra, that little red-headed boy, brown and red. Never mind, I thought it was kind of color colored, you know, kind of cool. And I'm, I'm reading his now. I'm reading his now, and I personalize. Here's what I want to tap into your court. Personalize your Bibles. Personalize. You can write in your Bible. Make them yours. Make them something precious to you. Your Bible is the Word of God. Bible means the book, not a book, the book. This is the book that every book in all the libraries of Alexandria stand in the shadows of the one book you can hold in your hand. Every book that's ever been written by man, they stand in the shadows of this one here you hold. Fall in love with the Word of God, you fall in love with the God of the Word. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word, the Word is with God, and the Word was God. God's as good as His Word, and His Word's as good as He is. There's nobody else that can make that claim. Fall in love with the Word of God. And so... I prepare, I, I've read this Bible through. Every Bible that I give to my grandsons, I have read through. By the way, if you have a hard time reading, read a copy for somebody else. You might be a surprise what an incentive that is when you begin to do that for somebody else. My dad said, Tom, I just can't read my Bible. See, I just, it's just hard for me. He said, I will a little bit, and then I get away from it. I go for years and don't read. He said, can you help me? I read a Bible through from my dad, and I underlined different verses that were precious to me on different pages. And I said, Dad, just read the ones that are underlined. Maybe that will help you get started. It helped him. It helped him a great deal. My dad struggled with assurance of his salvation all his life. But when he was in the Word, he felt closer to God. He needed some help to do it. You want to help somebody, read a Bible for them. Just read a Bible for me, a friend, a son, a daughter, a husband. See, I read this for you. And give it to him as a gift and write personal things into him, notes and stuff. And I've got notes in here and things that I copy out that, are, that I'm reading some Christian periodical, some magazine. I'll say, oh, that's good. I'm, I can say it so much better than I can ever see it. And I'll put it in and I'll just tape it in there. 
Let's see what I've got in here. Many people, including great theologians, struggle with the doctrine of election. Indeed, finding the biblical balance between overemphasized divine sovereignty, which is fatalism, and overemphasized freedom, human determination, is difficult. That's just a quote. I can ask it's true. I do not understand those things. It's okay to say I don't understand some things because you'll absolutely wear your brain out sometimes trying to wrap it around things that God said. I don't understand it. I don't think I've ever done anything that shocked God, good or bad. I don't think God's, oh, I'm surprised. How do you know nobody will go to heaven and God's, oh, what are you doing here? How do you know that won't happen? Would you agree? <laughs> Come on, would you agree with that? I think the Bible claims before the foundation of the world, God knew that. Well, God, if you knew that, why do you, why do you, how do you know them why questions are hard to answer about God? Would you agree? Why did you let that stinking serpent in the garden? Somebody want to say amen to that? He says, because I'm God. Can you trust me? You see, and you're right, some of these, and I will preach sermons. I know, he will know where I'm, I'm studying and preaching. He'll see that it'll just be just written through all kinds of things. This one here, I have my prevailing prayer list here. My favorites in life, my favorite hymn is Blessed Assurance. My favorite Old Testament character is Samson. My favorite New Testament character is Paul. My life's verse of Philippians 3.10. My favorite poem is I Met God in the Morning. My favorite book other than the Bible is Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Then it's The Christian in Complete Armor by William Grinnell. My favorite friend is my wife. My favorite quote is by Robert Murray McChain. Lord, live so as to be missed. My favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Why? It's distinctively Christian, exclusively American. My favorite color is red. My favorite day is Sunday. My favorite painting is the two on the road to Emmaus. My favorite doctrine is the gospel. My favorite state is Michigan. My favorite word is eternity, then forgiveness, then justification. My favorite prophet is Micaiah. My favorite wonder is the incarnation. My favorite description of man is Revelation 3.17. My favorite bird is the cardinal. My favorite fish is the silver salmon. My favorite psalm is 91. My favorite animal is a bull. My favorite question is what is man that thou art mindful of him? My favorite phrase is it is finished. Hallelujah. My favorite warning is, few old men finish well. I received that from a godly old man I looked up to in 1996. I, you could have knocked me over with a feather when he said that. Few old men finish well. You read this book and see how many big hitters made a mess of their life at the end. The wisest man that ever, did, ever lived, Solomon, died a babbling old fool worshiping idols in the temples of his foreign wives. This guy knew God. Noah, I mean, how do you think Noah kind of knew God? He gets off the ark, plants a vineyard, harvests the grapes, makes wine, gets drunk, gets naked, and curses a son, and is never mentioned again in Scripture. These are, I, I, I couldn't carry these guys' shoes. A few old men finish well. And by the way, the list goes on if you look at it. I think we have a tendency to live off yesterday's grace when we get older. You can't do it. You can't do it. Grace for every day. Now, my favorite statement is, in the beginning, God. He never tries to prove it. You can take it or leave it. Not that God began in the beginning, but that he was in the beginning before the beginning began. <laughs> Stuff that one in your pipe and smoke it. Never mind. That's, that's a hard one for me. My favorite president is Harry S. Truman. Eleven minutes after Israel declared themselves a nation, he got on board and endorsed them. 
You know how much that blessed America? Because of that one president. He was blind in one eye and never went to college. He had all the strikes against him. He came through an absolutely corrupt political machine unscathed. I read his, I read his biography and I was increasingly impressed with the man. I don't think he knew the Lord. But I think he was God's man for America that hour. My father was on a troop ship leaving Europe headed toward the east, Japan, when he made the decision, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. When Japan signed with MacArthur, unconditional terms of peace, my dad said their ship turned and headed back toward the U.S. I may not be here if that had not happened. How many of you know to take a land invasion of Japan would have cost the lives of many? How many of you know you're damned if you knew and damned if you don't when you're in that position and make that kind of decision? You're not going to make everybody's happy. He had the critics coming out of the woodwork. But he said, the buck stops here. How many of you know the buck don't stop anywhere any, anymore? Would you agree with that? We're passing it on to anybody and everybody. I just, uh, my favorite illustration of grace, my favorite smell is fresh baked bread. My favorite season is autumn. My favorite preacher is Vance Haven. My favorite epistle is Roman. My favorite instrument is the violin. My favorite possession is my Bible. My favorite restaurant is Il Panorama. My favorite sermon is Woman at the Well. My favorite times are private study and worship. My favorite topic is the, res topic is the resurrection. My favorite food is uh, shelly bean soup and homemade bread. My favorite miracle is Peter's release from prison. You say, well, why are all the Americans in? What's that's a big deal? If you're a cop and know what prisons are like, that's a big deal. <laughs> Never mind. I just really, I, I, I love to preach that sermon. My favorite insect is the honeybee. My favorite promise is John 14, 1 through 6. My favorite grandparent verse is Hebrews eleven twenty one. My favorite wood is hickory. My favorite sovereignty verse is Hebrews two twenty. My favorite flower is the heirloom, heirloom red rose. My favorite fruit is the tree-ripened peach. My favorite jelly is black raspberry. My favorite city is Jerusalem. My favorite water is the, the water bird is the loon. My favorite time of day is first light. I love first light. No sun up, just that first gray of dawn. My favorite song leader is Paul Gardner. My favorite old age verse, Isaiah 46, 4. God cast me not off in my old age. My favorite persecution text is 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 18. My favorite eye-opener is 2 Kings 6, 17. Elisha, you know, Gehazi, Dothan. He says there's more with us than there are with them. He said there's two of us, we're outnumbered. God opened his eyes. <laughs> oh, now I see. He said, okay, I guess you're right, we'll be okay. <laughs> My greatest restrainer. <clears throat> My favorite Bible commentary, Matthew Henry. If you know a person's favorite, you'll know them. I have all my yearly goals listed in this page from 1979 till this year. Our goal this year, Joyce and I have the same one. We have the last two years, which is normally not the same. She has different goals. But my favorite, my goal this year is to strengthen simple truths, 2 Corinthians 11.3. And to simplify our life, we are decluttering. Joyce and I have got rid of so much junk this year. We tore down two old junk sheds that we have been saving things. Uh, someday you might need that. How many of you have that sickness in you? Uh, someday I might need that. Can I tell you something? Get rid of it. Your kids don't need it and they don't want it. Just dump it. It's just an anchor. And we have gotten rid of so much junk. Goodwill has made out this year, okay? We just get rid of that stuff. Favorite goal, I mean, my yearly goal in 1979 was just to read my Bible daily. 
That was the challenge of the year, just to start reading daily. Preaching inspirations on this page. Things I read that when I sit where you sit and I do not want to go to that pulpit. I want to sit where you sit and have somebody else feed me. You may not think that preaching is work. It's work. Mentally, after I'm done, I, I am spent. I can't hardly... My wife just says, I need to leave you alone for about 10 minutes to, to deprogram. I don't need to ask you any questions or give you any advice. I can't handle it. <laughs> if there's a preacher here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is an unbelievable. You spend mental, emotional, spiritual energy, and, you, and I want to. I don't want to be an energy taker. I want to be an energy giver in the pulpit. You just give it out, and you're spent. And sometimes I don't want to come. I'll preach, I, I, I preach in a church in Chicago here five times on a Sunday morning. I mean, they gave you 35 minutes. They just cranked them out. It was a huge church, mega church, a big screens all over the place, and they just had it down to a system. They had literally how many minutes you had to get that group out and get the next group in. At the end of that day, I was... How are you? And I need to be inspired, and these are great inspirations that I read, and they fill my soul. Great servants of the Lord, Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, Jonathan Goforth, Adoniram Judson, Charles Spurgeon, George Whitfield, Christmas Evans, John Wesley, William Grinnell, Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, and I have their date of birth, their date of death, and something, some quote they made. Moody, Sunday, Tozer. Next page, my favorite hymns. You see, I want to leave them something, they'll know me. I could be dead tomorrow, a little older than here. I you know, five years old, you won't remember. You don't remember a lot about them, but you give them a copy of a Bible. I'm working on Ezra's. I want to get her done in case I check out before I think I'm going to. I want to give them something. Favorite hymns. Blessed Assurance, my favorite hymn. I sing that hymn almost daily. Amazing Grace, Marvelous Grace of Jesus. At Calvary, rescue the perishing, send the light. Christ, receive us sinful men. How many of you are glad that Jesus is a friend of sinners? Anybody want to say amen to that? He is a friend of sinners. He didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Send the light. On the solid rock, how great thou art. You must be born again. I stand amazed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. When we see Christ, um, the regions beyond, my Savior first of all, blessed Redeemer, one day, our great Savior, trusting Jesus, oh, to be like thee, the mind of Christ, more about Jesus would I know. Come thou fount, my hope is in the Lord. In times like these, I just added that one just recently. My favorite chorus is he is able, the B-I-B-L-E. Hallelujah, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I grew up singing that song. Little did I know as a child that one day it would be as precious to me as it is. Jesus loves me. Any of you ever sing that one? That's a good chorus. Indescribable, I will rise when he calls my name in the presence of Jehovah. Give thanks with a grateful heart. The Revelation song, and on and on and on. Next page. Oh, kind of... I've just written through them. There's not a page in this Bible that isn't something underlined or something, a note written. If you go to Matthew, I have an index of different sermons that I have preached. If you want sermons on hope, page 79, 1279. It has the blank pages between the books sometimes. You'll have a half or maybe a full page. And I just write sermon notes in there uh, on faith, the years of a man. That's my own work on 1326. I, here's the decades of a man. Every 10 years, this is what life is like. Pride, his return, brevity, choices, the balance of scriptures, the divine origin of scriptures, the nations, dreams, the trinity, pleasing God, doctrine, Jerusalem, revival, 
just sermons on those subjects, if he wanted to find out on one of those subjects, he could just turn to that. Just my own personal notes. And you go to them pages in the back, write in them. Worldly philosophies, existentialism, what it is, pluralism, modernism, postmodernism, mysticism, revelation, cynicism, pantheism, what a deist is, what an agnostic is, what an atheist is, what a liberalist is. Five things. If somebody said to me, I was sitting in a place hoping to just listen to a sermon, and somebody says, something happened, could you come preach? You're supposed to be instant, in season, out of season. I have a sermon that I can stand up and preach right now. The five things that make a man spiritual. If I just stand up and preach it, because I got my notes right there. The fact that we're a peculiar people. Friends and enemies. As humbly as I can, I have tried to honestly evaluate my ministry. I have asked God for a few low-maintenance, mature friends. He has granted me some, and I'm grateful. Enemies are part and parcel of the Christian life. I pray for them, but I refuse to let them distract me from my ministry or steal my joy. That's my approach to it. If you're, gonna, you're supposed to pray for your enemies. That means you're going to have them. You stand for Christ, I'll guarantee you you're going to have some enemies because they're going to come. Quotes. I have two pages. There's 43 quotes of different bo- from b- different books that I have read or things I've heard. Listen to this one. The first one is compliments are like perfume. Smell them, but don't drink them. Chuck Swindoll. Francis de Sales. John Piper. Richard Baxter. Just quotes from these guys. And then some that are my own. When he gets of age, I'll hand him this Bible. This year, we have two granddaughters, Alexandria and Isabel. By the way, when I took this in to get the name written on it, his name, I took it to the bookstore, Christian bookstore. I said, could you put uh, a name on this for me? I said, it's for my grandson. No, I said, it's my grandson's. That's what I said. It's my grandson's, meaning this is going to be his someday. And she said, sure, I can do that for you. And I wrote out the name and handed it to her. And then Joyce and I shopped around the store for a few minutes. We came back, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes later to see if it was done. And this young 19, 20-year-old girl said, she said, I hope you don't mind, but I took the liberty of looking through this Bible. And she said, I'd like to meet your grandson. (laughs) And I said, you misunderstood me. He's nine. I made the note. She said, oh. But I thought... Wouldn't that be good for a girl to look at a guy's Bible and say, I'd like to know you, okay? That'd be a good thing. Joyce and I got such a chuckle out of that. Well, I've taken more time than I should, and uh, we're all done, and you need a cookie. (laughs) No, you don't need a cookie. Let me pray, and we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, somehow through all of this, give us a deeper love for your word. It is hard for us to stray from you if we'll hang on to your word. If we'll let your word be our lamp to our feet and a light to our paths, we'll be okay. We'll be all right. And I pray that we would somehow just have a renewed commitment to it, to read it, study, memorize, meditate, share it, live it, obey it. Help us, God. Teach us your ways. This book contains your ways. Show us your paths and then help us. Oh, God, help us to walk in them. We'll be careful to thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.